Welcome to the Joe Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gonzalez. Joe Catholic is a lay apostolate formed in the fall of 2004 and then revamped to its current structure in the spring of 2009. According to the Second Vatican Council, the function of the apostolate is to influence the temporal order and cultural milieu into conformity with Christian ideals. It's in that light that our mission is to help equip everyday, ordinary people with the tools to evangelize and answer the universal call to holiness. We hope that this podcast helps do that and encourages you to pursue a deeper understanding of our rich Catholic faith. Welcome back to the Joe Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gonzalez, and I'm joined once again with my co-host, Mark Conley, and my son, Kevin Gonzalez. Tonight, we're going to talk about retreats, good or bad. <laughs> now, we're just going to talk about retreats. But before we do that, I'd like to kind of do a throwback again to the My Stogie Mystagoody format and start off briefly with us talking about what we are smoking now. And I'm interested in knowing what Mark is smoking. All right, I am smoking a Romeo Julieta. I think this is a Dominican offering. This is probably a 50 ring gauge, maybe, and was uh, at least six inches. It looks, I think that's a Cameroon wrapper. Okay. Romeo y Julieta is actually Rosie's brother's favorite cigar. It's not one of my favorite cigars, but it was in my humidor, and I thought, I'm going to try it again. So, so far... So good. I cannot, as per usual, give you any idea of what I'm tasting. It's very mild. It's burning very cool. It's burning evenly, and I'm pairing it with Famous Grouse again, unless it's Dewar's, and I can't remember. All right. Fair enough. Kevin, are, what are you smoking? The Free Cigar. Is it the Jacob's Creek? It is. Is this a different style, or it looked like it's a little bit longer than the one you smoked last time? Mm-mm. I think it's the same thing. When you call the last one a shorty, do you call Robustos shorties? Is that what you do? Was that a Robusto that you gave him, or was it shorter than a Robusto? Shorter than a Robusto. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was too, just based on how long you've been smoking it and how the length of it. That also looks like it's either an Ecuadorian wrapper or a broadleaf Connecticut Maduro. I think it's a broadleaf. I would say it is a Maduro. I wouldn't know how to tell from just looking at it if it was Ecuadorian or Connecticut or whatever. All right, and you're pairing your cigar with what drink today? A fabulous agua. Aqua. Also known as water. All right, thank you. Dihydrogen monoxide. Do you want to explain yourself for the benefit of the listener? Dihydrogen, H2, monoxide, O. H2O. A lot of dihydrogen monoxide has been falling right out of the sky lately and hitting the ground and rolling off. Yes. Thank you for that meteorological and chemistry lesson. You're welcome. All right. I'm smoking a bestseller, Arturo Fuente, which I smoked last week as well. And I'm drinking, I'm pairing that with the exact same thing I had last week, which is the Knob Creek Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, small batch. And just like last time, it has hints of caramel and it's sweet. And it draws out the sweetness of the Cameroon wrapper that is on the Certudo Fuente Hemingway series. That is also Dominican in the filler and the binder. I do want to say that I had a high-toned scotch last Friday. Tell me more. It's a, a Grand, Grand Morange or something like that. Glen Morangi. Glen Morangi or however you pronounce that. Glen Gary, Glen Ross. <laughs> that was Don laying out on Mark. Yes. And Kevin, who's just over there shaking in silent mirth. Have you had that before? No. Yes. Well, it's a single malt. Yes. Okay. Which, so, are you a fan of Cheers? Yes. All right. So there were a series. There was a story arc on Cheers where Norm was tasked with 
firing some people. Uh, yeah, I remember that. He brings the first guy into the bar and he buys him a lot of, or I don't know that he bought him beer. No, he no, never I think he bought beer. anything. I think he did finally make his tab good. Yes, man. I think he did at some point. But yes. anyway, so he brings this guy in and he starts crying and really makes the guy feel good about being fired and then it becomes a thing. So I was tasked on Friday to take one of my coworkers out to go over a lot of corrections that needed to be made. Okay. You're having corrective action discussions. Yes, and, and we all thought that the best way to do that would be off-site and a private locale. It was my idea to have to go somewhere and have an adult beverage. And so. get him drunk? <laughs> Is that where you're going? <laughs> Mr. Connolly, you know that here at Joe Catholic, we always urge... Not modesty, that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, I know the word you're looking for. Temperance. Well, temperance is part of it, but when you're... Yeah, the word Moderation. Moderation, thank you. Goodness gracious, words aren't coming to me today. So anyway, so this guy that I that I took out to have this conversation with him, he uh, he likes to spend his money. You know, he's... A former practicing attorney. His wife's a practicing attorney. He goes up and he orders this, you know, he's, what single malts do you have? And he, they start giving those. And he acts like he knows what he's doing. So I was like, all right, I'll have the same thing. You know, you know me, I'm not really much of a scotch guy. Or at right. least I'm becoming more when I'm certainly not an aficionado. And this, this scotch had a great aroma. It just smelled good. And it was good. Nice. And I tried it both ways. I first I had it neat. Okay. And then this bar that we went to, I gotta tell you about the bar in just a second, actually had a cube. Like you know, like you use that little globe thing yeah, that you yeah. freeze it. This was a big you have those little rocks that you have yeah. too that are uh-huh. that are cubes. This was a big, big cube. Okay. So I tried drinking it that way too, just to Was it see. ice or was it a solid? No, it was ice. It was okay. ice. And just to get a different flavor profile, and I did. And so, you know, I go through everything. At the end of the, the night, I'm waiting to pay the bill, and he paid for the bill. So I got some really good scotch for free. Awesome. So what do we say here? What's better than good scotch? Free, free good, good scotch. scotch. So here's a funny story. So, you know, I I have this laundry list of stuff that, corrective actions and i'm pretty much telling this guy hey look you know you treat people like crap and nobody likes you and you got to really start acting and treating people better and to use my boss's phrase you got to be a better teammate so we're going through all this stuff and then it on top of all this it's his wife's birthday and he's supposed to be at dinner it's like dude you got to get out of here or you're gonna miss dinner with your wife and that's just unacceptable yeah so we get up to say goodbye and everything, and he says, oh, no, I'll go to, you know, I was like, hey, this is a good, good session. I'm sorry that, you know, everything had to be so negative. He's like, no, I really like the feedback, blah, blah, blah. This deserves a hug. So he gives me this big old hug, and then he leaves. Well, I go to my car. Oh, by the way, he's a fountain pen guy, too. Oh, okay. He shows me two fountain pens he made, and he left them on the table. He made them? He made them. Wow. Like, he turned the... He bought the parts to go in, but okay. the actual body of the pen he made. You make it out of, like, aluminum? One of them was made out of wood. The other one was made out of resin. Oh, cool. So, anyway, he left his pens, and the waitress brings the pens out to me and says, you know, your friend left his pens, blah, blah, blah. And I said, all right, I give them back to him when I see him. Think anything else of it. I get to work on Monday, and I tell him my boss that, I think the meeting went really well. He really appreciated the feedback, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him we went to the bar that he had recommended. And I'd asked him, so, so Friday was Texas OU weekend. And the bars are crazy on Friday night before the big game. Yeah. And I wanted to go somewhere that was close to both of us that was going to be away from the mess. And I said, hey, do you know a place? He's like, yeah, there's this, there's this bar in the hospital district. It's not too far from here. It shouldn't be too much craziness going on. And he was right. Well, I found out after the fact that it's a gay bar. <laughs> okay. So there was nothing unusual about two grown men hugging it out. So, wow. anyway, that was funny. 
Okay. You know, I've turned my own pins before. I just, little fact. Little what does bit. that have to do with... Well, you said he made those pins, so I was just throwing my two cents in. I what do you mean you pins. turn your own pins? What do you mean? I've actually made them the I same way he made his. Saying something completely different. <laughs> it's like, this Kevin, are you coming out on air? What? <laughs> I feel pretty. I'm so pretty. All right. So enough banter. Turn. Uh, for some reason, I was talking. I was thinking bowling because my dad actually way back in the day. Was a pin setter. You didn't have uh, machines that picked up the pins. You had pin boys that would yeah. be in the back and they would put the pins in. My dad actually did that. At the, I think in Hondo, Texas, they had a six lane bowling alley. Wow. So, anyway. All right, so that's our uh, My Stogie conversation. Our uh, primary topic tonight is retreats. So, for the purposes of our conversation today, Retreats, because I really want to make the distinction between a retreat and a conference. Okay. And, you know, feel free to push back if you think my definition is off. But I think of a retreat as when you go away someplace. It can be at a parish. It can be at a retreat house. uh, It could even be in a hotel. But you're at least away somewhere from home. Typically, at least overnight, one night, maybe multiple nights. And there is a format of, it could be a series of reflections and followed by prayer. There might be benediction. Oftentimes, there's reconciliation offered, a special mass, and also time for individuals to reflect on what they've, what they've heard, what they've experienced. Things of that sort. Does that sound like a fair? Yes, I I uh, approve your definition. Okay, and and I want to distinguish that from a conference where you go for a day, and you might hear three keynote speakers talk about three topics that might be threaded together by a common theme, and you may or may not have an opportunity for lunch there, and then you may or may not have the opportunity for reconciliation in mass. But it's a one-day deal. You go in the morning and you go back home at the end of the day. Yeah. So. I would say they have different goals. Okay. And what would that be? That's a good question. I was hoping you'd pick up from there. I think a conference is more of a, depending on the theme of the conference, I mean, you're looking, it could either be something as simple as just a quick boost, maybe a, a, a slight realignment. Maybe it could just be an educational experience. I was going to say, I think conferences are informational. Right. You know, they, right. they inform. So I think the education is part partly true. I, I think there's supposed to be a little bit of an inspiration as well, but it's done as in, a, in a kind of an educational format versus a retreat is much more about getting somebody to maybe stop and... and uh, Self-reflect? Yeah. It's more reflective. I don't think a conference is reflective at all. No, and you're not going to have time. Yeah. Most retreats designate, you know, actual time. It's part of the program. Whether it be, well, just a different form. Yeah. So, we have our definition. We have defined our terms. Indeed. Well, at least one term. Or two, I guess. Conference and retreat. So what I would like to do is talk about... So I guess let me frame it this first, and then we'll, we'll talk about individual experiences with different styles and types of retreats. Part of the premise and the motivation for this is... Well, motivation is that Kevin just came out of retreat this past weekend. And it's my first chance to talk to him about it, so it's an excuse to hear what he thought about it. Secondly, I've always... You know, in January, I always give a talk at Joe Catholic about making sure you have a plan of life or a spiritual game plan where we spend most of our time talking about what your daily prayer life is like. Like what are the, what are your rituals? What are the things that are non-negotiable that you do to incorporate your spiritual life in your daily life? Oftentimes I don't get an opportunity to talk about those things that we should do on an annual basis or a semi-annual basis. 
my personal opinion and part of my premise behind all of this is that I think that we should all find a way to incorporate at least once a year a retreat or a conference for the very reason that Kevin points out as a boost, a spiritual boost or a realignment. I think that both a retreat or and a conference might be able to do the boost. I don't know that they're both capable of doing the realignment. I think that a retreat is possibly better suited to doing a realignment and a reevaluation of where you are in your spiritual life. Yeah, and I think that's because of what you mentioned earlier. There's actually time set aside for someone to be in a reflective mode. And, and you don't have that. So the conference would basically depend on you taking the time on your own after the conference to reflect. And that's not always realistic unless you're in the habit of building some time in your week for that anyway. But the nice thing about a retreat is that your basic physical needs are completely taken care of. So you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, whether or not there's water. Most of them will have some kind of uh, way of determining if you have any special dietary needs and they'll accommodate those. So the idea of a retreat, frankly, at a certain level is, is to be physically pampered to a degree because you, you're not, you're just not going to have to sit there and go, what am I going to eat today? When am I going to eat? How am I going to go do this? I mean, all those kinds of distractions are, I think, deliberately dealt with in a retreat environment so that you can literally unplug and relax. Okay. All right. So with all of that in mind, I think what I'd like to do now is have each of us talk a little bit about particular retreat experiences. And Kevin, since you're the one that's most recently gone to a retreat, now, Kevin, this past weekend, attended what is now called a welcome retreat, which I also call CHIRP 2.0, CHIRP being Christ Reduces Parish, which some of you may be familiar with. The welcome part of it is that Matthew Kelly, who is the man behind Dynamic Catholic, his apostolate bought out the rights to revamp the Christ Reduces Parish program and i believe this is the first men's retreat at st jude is that right kevin no they've had a welcome retreat before not chirp i know they had chirp before yeah i think this is the honestly i don't know because you know with chirp they do like there's team numbers and they just did a continuation from chirp Okay. So they never, it wasn't like they had church teams and then you had the welcome team and they started the numbers all over again. They just kept going. So it's like welcome team 15 or whatever? I'm like team 34. All right. So here's what I would like you to do, Kevin, without giving away any of the stuff that, because having talked to your mother, I know that there's some things that are consistent and welcome that were done in chirp. And some of those should be left as. I don't want to call them surprises, but people should be allowed to experience them without knowing them beforehand. For sure. So, if you just talk a little bit about the setup and then also what you took out of it, because I've seen you post some pretty lengthy posts on Facebook, both the day that you went home and then in the last couple of days afterwards. So, maybe start off with like, you know, you're relatively new to the St. Jude Parish. Mm -hmm. What was your motivation for signing up for the retreat? Well, my real motivation for something with the retreat was a realignment, like, we, like we've mentioned. Having gone through CHIRP at St. Catherine's eons ago, and knowing where I was spiritually then, and to be frank, uh, from uh, uh, everyday maturity standpoint as, a, as an adult, aka lacking thereof, but remembering my experience in that, I knew that I could get... I was going to be able to get something out of it. And I was actually concerned going into it because I had anxiety. Because I'd gone through church, I actually felt a little closed-minded. I actually had to do quite a bit of praying before the weekend that my, that, that my mind would be open, that I would be receptive. And I actually held my cards close to me. Can I say something about that? Hmm. So I think that that's kind of a natural reaction that when you, at least from a, and Mark, correct me if, you think differently, but I think that you and I have had similar experiences. 
when you, you know, like in your case, you're a catechist now, and in Kevin and Mark, in my case, we're, we have theology degrees. I think that you have a tendency to be a little bit more skeptical of either retreats or conferences that you go to. It's like there's almost, and I don't want to say this is the case, and I don't want to speak for you, Mark, but sometimes it's like, well, what am I going to get from this guy? And so I think that it, for you, Kevin, I think it showed a it showed a level of maturity that you were self-aware enough to be able to think about that going into it and that you prayed to being open so that that wouldn't happen. Mark, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do, maybe from a slightly different angle, and that is that, so I went through a church retreat, and it was a really good experience. But I've figured out that some of the things that are done that are good experience, because they're good experience, they tend to, the same types of activities are done in other types of retreats. And so it's a, it, can, it can feel a little formulaic if you have been through it before. And you can, you can be a little jaded, I think. Okay. I was definitely experiencing that aspect. Okay. For sure. The, the formula aspect. And I, if you went through church, go through at least one welcome weekend. Because although I don't remember the full details of church, I know I didn't experience what I experienced this weekend. That Matthew Kelly definitely stepped the game up. The bar was definitely elevated in many aspects. Right. Well, you know, and I've I've done some reading of that, and I've read enough of Matthew Kelly to know. This is what I told your mom because your mom was a little skeptical going into it too, and I was like, you know, Matthew Kelly's solid. Sometimes he can sound a little bit like a motivational speaker in his writing, and as I told your mom, it's because he was a motivational speaker before he devoted his life to this apostolate. So there's still a little bit of that, but it's with the focus on Christ. But his theology, I've never I've never read anything that he's written or said or heard that he said that strikes me as being contrary to the magisterium. Yeah. I so, agree with that. And I think he does a pretty good job of making things accessible to the everyday person. I think that's it's refreshing to me to hear that you had that experience as well. So anyway, Continue, please. Uh, well, I was, for most of the day, first off, they want you there before the sun's up. And, which isn't, I mean, it's, they wanted me up and there about the same time I'm up and at work during the week, which is not a big deal. But I didn't sleep well that night. So, I get there. So, when I don't, <laughs> when I first get up, if I haven't had much sleep, it's not that I'm a bad person to be around. I'm just quiet. I keep to myself. And I will say this with, without giving anything away. The weekend is all about servitude okay. towards the retreatants. Yes. On, for some, what would be considered an uncomfortable level. And it most certainly was for me. And so, I, literally, I spent most of Saturday just kind of tucked into basically being an introvert. Uh, I wasn't being like completely antisocial. It was kind of like, I don't know nobody. Right. This is a new parish for me. So it was like, there's not a soul here who knows me, who I know. And that actually worked out for the better in the end, by the end of the weekend. And they were actually, <laughs> they, because of some of the activities, they were actually able to draw me out of my shell pretty quickly via some of the activities that we did. So to be clear, this is a one-night, two-day retreat, right? It was a weekend. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a full weekend. Yeah. So you went on a Saturday morning, and then you went home late Sunday. Correct. So what were your takeaways? Without being too personal, of course, like yeah, what are you yeah. willing to share? No, <laughs> it's good. The takeaway was one. At one point, I got a lot more emotional than I thought I was going to get. Like I broke down, and I was not anticipating it at all, and it was uncontrolled. It was like one of those just it was there. It wasn't a full realignment. I've had some struggles since already that I've been dealing with. But the one thing I've noticed is that there's that... If we allow sin to eat at us, and we allow whatever, whether it's sin or whatever obstacle we have between us and God, if we let it just compound us, then we have a tendency to get into the guilt and the shame and other negative feelings. And you can allow yourself to... Just get in that rabbit hole. 
Sure. I mean, I would call that the sin of Judas. That you know, that's one of the tricks that Satan plays on us. Is that your sin's too great? God's not going to forgive you. So might as well just keep giving into your sin because God's not going to forgive you. Yes, and I've and I've I've fallen into that path before, and I have I've already had a little bit of that. Not not that I've had the the temptation to run down that road already, but I'm not going. I haven't I haven't allowed for that. There's an immediate, okay, just stop, get realigned. I've changed how I look at things. I've changed how I approach things. It's not a, I don't let, you know, Satan or myself go down that road. It's like, okay, you know, you've had this or you've said this or, you know, whatever it is. Now I turn back to God. Because I know the more I turn back to him, the more I turn to him regularly, whether it's praying, making taking that time, I make sure I pray before my meals. Just general going to him in conversation, going to scripture, having my spiritual readings. I know the more that I engage in those, like I turned the hockey game off last night and put on EWTN. And like my wife was stunned. Anybody knows how much I love hockey? My wife was like, well, are you, would you give up on them? I was like, no, I need a time with God. And she was like, okay. And so I looked at, I just turned on EWTN, picked up a book I'm reading again called Life is Christ by Bishop Fulton Sheen. Was listening to the Father on EWTN and reading a little bit of uh, Life of Christ, and was just. So I, have, I have a couple of questions. First question is: At the retreat, was there an opportunity for you to do a reconciliation? Yes, and, yeah, that's where I wrote down. <laughs> okay, and did you also have? Did you have two masses or one mass? We had a mass. Okay, fair enough. And then, in addition to that, I guess that my final question for you is. Before you went to the retreat and after the retreat, did you see a change or rededication to like a daily prayer life? And how has that played out? Yes, uh, most certainly, most certainly. I find that I, I pray more often for sure. Okay. I, I that's what kind of where some of those posts you're talking about on Facebook have, have stemmed from. Mm-hmm. Is those aren't those aren't those weren't I don't post those for the world. As much as I did knowing that Facebook's going to remind me in the year. Ah, good idea. Where, where I was at this moment in time. <laughs> what a good use of social media. Yeah. So knowing that I would be reminded so that in a year from now, Facebook goes, hey, here's a memory. It's a memory I'm actually going to want to share. And it's a memory that's going to put me in a prayerful mindset. So it wasn't about me showboating. Look what happened this week and look how awesome it was. It, although it's a time might, capsule. Yes, it very much was. Ah, how smart is that? And so, and I will say the other key takeaway is I made at least 60 new friends. You've got the team that put it on. And I, this, these, I tell you what, some of the things these, these guys had to say. And I, one of the guys was talking to me and he was like, you, you know, you can't compare stories. I said, no, you're right. You can't compare stories, but I have nothing to complain. I look at some of the things I've, I heard this weekend and I look at my own life and I go, I can't say, I don't have nothing. I've had like an outstanding life. Yeah. I'm a billionaire compared to some of the stuff that I heard. Wow. And that hit me hard. As it, and I don't know, again, it, it, I, I'm a, I would have to say a lot of it has to do with my level of maturity now versus where I was when I was, I don't know, 19, 20, whenever I was yeah. in church. You were young when you went through, and you were especially young spiritually as well. For sure. It had only been sure. a couple of years since you came into the Catholic Church when you went through that retreat. So not only, you know, you were very, very much a young adult, but you were also very young in your faith as well. Yeah, it was it was definitely a different outlook. And being, being drawn out to, I guess, show my true colors, that it was well received. And I will say, without giving away anything, I will say this. At one point, there was an activity that was supposed to have, it's, it could be fun, but considering what it is, it, there's supposed to be a tinge of seriousness to it. And you're speaking to one person, but you have the whole group. You have the whole group as an audience. Okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So, I slipped into, don't know why it came out, I slipped into an, to an Irish accent. <laughs> and it was more of a, it was meant to be an introduction to what we were doing, and I was going to let some of my team, if you will, take over. No one, wanted, no one said anything. No one wanted to take over. 
So I did the whole, my whole thing in my Irish accent. And that was after already having shown a little bit of my theater background. And so the rest of the weekend, I basically became a gesture for the, for the retreat mm. in a good way. And it's kind of a fallback to your old nickname of being the Joker. And the guys, the guys, it was well received. And they were asking me about, you know, Gee, were you in comedy? And I told them I dabbled in stand-up comedy a little bit when I was younger and told them about my theater background and they just soaked it up. And it was, it boosted me. And there were guys that I looked at. There's one guy, I can't, I can't say this, this guy named Walter. Walter is a guy, literally, if I just looked at Walter in the street, I would never say Walter and I would have been friends. Guy's, uh, I want to say he's out of Boston. But we have someone, he's a nerd. He loves comedy. We spent, we stayed up late Saturday night talking about stand-up routines we love. Throwing lines and quotes and have you seen this? Have you heard this? What are your thoughts? And just laughing. And then we spent Sunday talking about Dungeons and Dragons and long strategy board games like Gettysburg and Risk and things like that. And it was just, I never would have thought it. Mm-hmm. And knowing that St. Jude's is now home to me. That was the one of the biggest takeaways. St. Jude actually feels like my home parish now. Great. I now know I can go there. I'm going to see faces that I know, the faces that know me. There's people who are like, hey, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm going to be able to call them by name and say, how are you doing? So it grounded you in the parish, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no no doubt on that one at all. And just, like I said, and the weird thing was, was the amount of, uh, not direct deja vu, but there was people, or one of the leaders from the, the host team, that I just felt like, it was eating at me only because like, I know you, but I don't know that I know you know you. It wasn't a feeling of, it wasn't on quite a, I've met you somewhere before, kind of feeling as much as, honest to God, I was meant to be here. Okay. Like, it was like, there's a past here that I'm not aware of. Hmm. It was a really weird sensation, but it was it was humbling, and it actually helped open me up. Like, okay, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Just let it be, and so... And so now you've gone through the retreat. I think you had a... Or, you have your first gathering tomorrow, right? Yes. So, after the retreat, you guys are going to get together again for how many more weeks? Lasting was like six months. Okay, so six more months of getting together every Thursday. Yeah. And then you guys put on the next retreat. Yes, and then we'll have help. Uh, St. Jude actually has a um, committee. That right, like the continuation the committee, continuation I think is what they're called. And then some of the guys from the previous team, at least one of the guys, at least from what it sounds like, will also be with us throughout the whole process. All right. Cool. And he's one of the guys that I really, he's closer to, he's a little bit older than I am, but there's a, he's one of the guys that I was talking about that was like, there's whatever. Well, good. You're going to get six months to figure it out. Yeah. Six months of work. The cool thing was I found a lot of guys, I basically Facebook stalked everybody. I was like, I want to stay connected to these people. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> a bunch of people that I'd never seen before talking about your post. All yeah. right. And that, I mean, it was, it was nice, though. It was just like, and a lot of them were from, I don't remember the last names. I, most of the guys I connected with on Facebook were from the host team because I don't have last names of anybody from my team. I was like, I want to find these people. And I'm like, I don't. I never, right, but that'll grow as you continue to meet Right, guys. and most of those guys will probably end up with my phone number. We'll probably be texting. And I'm sure Walter and I will be playing games at some point. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks for sharing, Kev. Mark, you have attended a type of retreat called Axe. Yes. And participated in that, both in as a attendee and a putting on, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And... Yeah. All right, so an Axe retreat is kind of a larger commitment. First, the acronym Axe stands for Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. And so those are themes that run through that. But an axe retreat actually starts on a Thursday in the afternoon and goes all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then you go home Sunday. So it's a commitment that you have to be ready to do because it, it involves taking time off from work if you you know if you're a work a day kind of a guy. I have a question. Yes. Is it done at a parish like this? Welcome retreat was done, 
at St. Jude's facility or is it done at a retreat site? So we went to a retreat site that's over in Dallas, and I cannot remember the name of it. Okay, that's but fine. it's over in the Pleasant Grove area, actually. And it is a facility that is designed for these kinds of retreats. And it's actually attached to a church that is also a like a retirement home. There's, a, there's like a retirement home, and then they have a, a church that's part of the whole thing. And then attached to that is a rather large compound with multiple houses. And each house can hold maybe eight guys. And so it can be a pretty large gathering. And then there's a main, there's a dining hall, there's a meeting hall, there's several ancillary rooms. It's quite a production, actually. But it's... uh, because of the time frame that's involved and because of the basically the kind of the four themes that are in there, there's a lot of time for people to interact with each other. And then there's a lot of reflection time. There's group prayer. There is reconciliation. There is mass. So it's really gives you an opportunity to unplug. One of the things that they do is they kind of want you to leave all your communication devices. They pretty much collect them from you. So you don't really know what time it is. You don't really have any kind of connection. They've got it set up to where if there's some sort of an emergency, people can get a hold of you. So I don't want anybody to feel like they're like going off to the Amazon and they're going to be out of touch. If somebody needs to get a hold of you, they can. But the idea is to give you that unplugged time so that you are truly there. And I think the number of days that are involved in that help that happen. It's an important part of a retreat is that unplugging and literally getting to that point where you're like, I don't really have anything that I need to worry about right now, so I can kind of focus on what's happening. So it's a very good experience if nobody's done that before. I would recommend it. I've also put on, been part of a team that put on an extra treat, and that's a different kind of an experience. And if you have the opportunity to do that, if you feel called to do that, I would recommend that as well. I know some people will say that it is even more beneficial for you to put on a retreat than it is to attend it. I don't know how true that is. I think that depends on the individual. But that ability to unplug, I think, cannot be overemphasized. The other thing that I think is valuable about this kind of an experience is to find, you mentioned this, Kevin, really, the connections that you have with people that you would have no idea that you had and to realize and recognize that there are other people out there that think about things that you think about. Uh, You know, in our secular workaday world, it can be pretty difficult to run into people that are willing to talk about Jesus or are willing to uh, engage in some of the conversations that are about the important things in life. So it's nice to be in an environment where that's not just encouraged, but you've got a lot, uh, a bunch of like-minded people. The other interesting thing about an extra retreat is it's not just Catholics. It can be people from other walks of faith, if you want to put it that way, other religions, denominations. And that's pretty interesting because I think this is a variation of the Curcio movement, and I don't know if the Curcio, there's one of these retreats that's kind of set up the same way that is deliberately multi-denominational, or maybe even is was just Protestant, and so this is like the Catholic version of that, if you want to put it that way, but you don't have to be Catholic to attend. It's very helpful if you're Christian to attend, because you're not going to get, well, I was about to say you're not going to get as much out of it if you're not Christian, but maybe you'll get more out of it. You may find out that you are Christian and you just didn't know it. So there's there's a thought for anybody that's thinking about looking at the Catholic Church. If you're not a member of the church yet, that wouldn't wouldn't stop you from attending an axe retreat. That's uh, all I really have to say about it. It's fellowship, community. You get to talk to people. 
because it tends to be multi-parish, you may not develop the connections with people. So like the one that I attended and the one I put on was actually done by St. Monica's over in Dallas. But they were pulling people from multiple parishes. So you're not necessarily going to see these people every Sunday like you would with the welcome retreat or like what used to be with the chirp retreat. Uh, that is a benefit of the chirp retreat is you end up spending a lot more time after Mass because you're saying hi to everybody <laughs> that you become friends with. Right. That you weren't friends with before. So I think kind of a side benefit of all of this besides developing a relationship with, with Jesus is developing a, a relationship with your fellow parishioners that maybe you didn't have before. As I said in the Acts Retreat, it's multiple parishes. There wasn't anybody from my parish that went except my son-in-law, my, my son-in-law, my stepson. But the recognition that there are other people out there that have similar struggles, that have the same types of questions that you might have, that are looking for some of the same answers, that's pretty invaluable. I think it's very good to be able to have that opportunity to find other people that are of like mind and like soul. So you went through your retreat with Acts, both the one you went through and the one that you helped with after you had gone through the IPT program and got your MTS. Yes, that's true. Now, does my memory serve me correctly that you gave one of the talks? Yes, I did the theology talk. Did any of that experience do anything to shift your approach to your own spirituality or no and you know i'm probably not the best person to talk to about that because as you and i have discussed you know on our own the format of the master's program that we went through was in many ways a monthly retreat we would get we would get gathered together for an intensive weekend and when i say intensive i mean we would show up at seven o'clock at night on a friday and go till 10 and then 8 o'clock in the morning, Saturday, and go till 7 at night. And then 8 o'clock Sunday morning, and go till 3. It was, aside from the fact that we were studying theology, everything about it, including the ability to attend Mass, it was like a monthly retreat with just people who were eminently qualified to put on a retreat, if you want to put it that way. So there was nothing that I would say that the Acts retreat did for me, I don't know, I don't want this to sound the way it's going to sound, but the Acts retreat probably not aimed at a person with a master's in theology. All right, fair enough. And that could be a whole another episode about what, what do you do with somebody like me and you that have master's degree? What do we do? And I think that there are some ways that we can address our own spiritual growth. And I think that you've already kind of latched on to something like that. Yeah. And I think that I have too. So I think that there, and we can talk about that at a later time. Anything else that you want to add before we move on? I think one reason that people may not want to go on a retreat is sometimes something that is similar to maybe the reason why some people don't really want to engage their faith fully. And that is that they're afraid that they're going to have to change. And it would be wrong of me to say that you don't have to change but it would be more correct for me to say that, yes, you will change, but you won't regret it. No, I think that's a fair statement, but I think that listening to Kevin tell his experience, he got an opportunity to be himself Yeah. and be affirmed in him being himself. Yes. So there is that kind of dichotomy of being yourself, but at the same time, you're changing as a man. I'm glad you said that because you reminded me of one thing that I thought of while Kevin was talking, and that was this idea of bringing your spiritual life in line with your secular life. There really shouldn't be a difference. That's easier said than done. But it is possible for your spiritual life to be your regular life. Yeah, People no. may not think that, but it's that's actually what it should be. No, it should be for sure. I mean, the whole idea is that everybody's going to see... The see Christ in you. Yeah, you're exactly right. The There is a false dichotomy that we've all sort of bought into, I think, in our secular world. And that is that somehow being spiritual and being who you are are somehow two different things. But you're not really who you are fully if you 
spiritual. And I think one of the things that you can get out of a retreat is the comfort with recognizing who you are, and that is that you're a child of God. And that there are rights and responsibilities associated with that. Well, for sure. And I think there's things, there's little decisions that change. One of my opportunities, if you will, in my in, in my faith is I don't have a lot of patience with people on the road. Uh, I don't deal well with people who I think are not driving to your expectations. Yes. <laughs> and I have a tendency to handle those people negatively. Yeah. And now it's... It's not even, I used to, I remember when I was, I still do it occasionally, but it was a, more of a, if I wanted to go off, it, instead of going off, I'd be like, you know, go in peace, peace be with you, something like that. And I just let it go. Yeah. And I was like, don't hurt anybody. That's all I ask. Don't get a wreck, being a goober. Right. Or, you know, gossiping. Uh, I was enlightened <laughs> over a year ago that gossiping is actually a, a grave sin. And I was like, you were what? News to me, it makes sense, but it was, you know, it sounds like a dust day when you think about it, but there's so much unintentional gossiping that can happen on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, intentional gossiping, obviously, don't do, it. don't do that, but there's things that can be considered unintentional gossiping, and I find myself reevaluating those things, like I'll get ready to say something about an incident that occurred to me that maybe only I and another party was involved in, or a conversation I had, or this or that, and I find myself taking that little time out and going, how is this going to be perceived and what does it do for the person I'm speaking of? Yes. And I, w- I would say for anybody who's wondering how gossip is a sin, it's it's the sin of detraction and it's where you're harming somebody else's good name. And if you think about that, that's, that is you're taking away something from somebody that you don't have the right to take away. And you're doing it largely to make yourself feel better or to just be able to poke fun with somebody else. And it's kind of an ugly thing. And it certainly does not build up the family of man. It does not contribute to the common good. So, Okay. Well, I'd like to close out with talking about a completely different type of retreat. And that is a silent retreat. Now, I've had the opportunity in the last few years to attend an Opus Day sponsored silent retreat. And like the retreat that Mark just mentioned, it was a four-day retreat. Now, they also try to plan days throughout the year that coincide with like Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend where you would normally have a Monday off so that you can have the extended day be the Monday instead of you starting on a Thursday and taking Friday off. But they do that as well. Opus Day has a center that is located in South Texas that is on a very nice large piece of property that was donated. It is a ranch-style house. Looks like a house, but it's really more of a hotel. Mm. But it looks like a big ranch house. And you have all these individual rooms. I think it holds up to 35 men per retreat. Wow. has its own chapel. has its own dining center. And uh, multiple, and it's got a conference room and a seating area and a small break room. And then the land is open enough that throughout the property, there are different stations throughout where you can take time out to just be by yourself. Mm. So it is truly silent in this, in the, from the standpoint that you are encouraged not to speak to any of the other attendees. And it is primarily made up of priest-led reflections that take place like every two hours. They're about 45 minutes long, and then you're given another 15 to 45 minutes to reflect on what you just heard. And you can go back to your room, or you can go walk the property, or you can find a place in the house to sit and reflect. There are opportunities for benediction and adoration of the Eucharist. Every day that you're there, there's a daily Mass. Reconciliation is heard on multiple days. We have multiple opportunities to go to reconciliation. On the Friday that you're there, there's the Stations of the Cross. And then that's an opportunity for some of the participants. You don't get to volunteer. They pick you to read parts of the Stations or whatever. Uh, There are other times where... Oh, there was another interesting thing. It just hit me. 
Every attendee is given a job. When I went, I had two jobs. One of my jobs was to do some of the readings or reflections on the Stations of the Cross, and then another was to read a passage from one of the books written by Jose Maria, well, Saint Jose Maria Escriva, and then that was used as a reflection. So that's another component where the whole group would be meet in a conference room area, and someone would very slowly read from the writings of Saint Jose Maria, and then you would break from that and go reflect. There is plenty of quiet time for yourself to reflect on what you've learned about. There are times where you sign up to have spiritual direction with a priest, and you spend 30 minutes talking about you know what the challenges are that you're having. And then throughout the various meals are communal meals. And what's interesting about that is trying to ask someone to pass the eggs without talking. And so that's the case for the first three days. The last night you're there, if it's not Lent or Advent, because it is treated as a penitential season, they have a pretty well-stocked refrigerator of beer and wine. And on the last night, that's the night where people are allowed to fellowship and grab a beer and go out. There's actually a swimming pool and everybody can hang out by the swimming pool and start talking to each other and get to know each other a little bit. And then the next day is leaving. And in an ideal situation, a group of guys will drive down together and spend the time on the drive there, either getting to know each other, praying the rosary, or doing other sorts of spiritual reflection on the way down and on the way back. The one and only time I've attended, and I've tried to attend two other times, very recently I thought I was signed up for the Labor Day weekend, and I accidentally signed up for the week after Labor Day, which I could not attend. So I'm going to try again in December. But uh, four years ago I attended on the week before Christmas. So we were in the Advent season, so I didn't get to participate in the drinking and hanging well, I got to hang out with the guys, but it's all just water and sodas and whatnot. But it was I had never done anything like it before. I you know, I've gone through a chart weekend, I've done other types of retreats in my youth. I had never done anything like this. It was the longest amount of time I've been in a retreat environment. And the time I went, it seemed like every single reflection spoke to me. And I remember vividly that a lot of the reflections that the priest did were rooted in the Vatican II document, Gaudium et Spes. So it did redirect me. It did allow me to regroup. And it was it made for the most fruitful Christmas time season I've ever experienced. Mm. And that carried over through the beginning of the next year with getting back on track. For those that don't know, I think I've shared this on air before. I'm a cooperator of Opus Dei. I am not currently a member. But what that means is I participate in the formation activities of Opus Dei, which includes monthly evenings of recollection, which I'm currently not able to attend because my wife went through the same retreat that Kevin just went through, and she meets on Tuesday night, so I have to be home to take care of the dogs. So I can't go to the meetings. But in addition to that, you can attend the retreats as a cooperator. I have a group of men that I can get together with on, on one Saturday a month where we get together and reflect on a gospel passage. And then in addition to that, there are, there are as a cooperator, I support the Apostolate of Opus Dei, not only financially, but in my daily prayer life. And from time to time, if I'm asked to more directly assist, like I have in the past with helping with some of their youth programs and essentially being a catechist for that. But I was able to get redirected the time I went. I'm looking forward to the next time I get to go. Yeah, if you've never been on a spiritual retreat, it's com- on a silent retreat, it's completely different than any of these other retreats that we've talked about tonight. I'm really interested in the silent retreat. I know they do those up here at Montserrat as well. That's correct. And that's a Jesuit retreat center. Right. So I, I will add one other thing. People may have heard of an Ignatian retreat. 
And uh, for most of us mortals, that's not an option because it is a 30-day retreat. But there is a way to do that through something they call the to the 18th or the 19th annotation in, say, the Ignatius's basically, I guess, handbook for a retreat. And it actually goes for nine months. But if you add up the hours that it would be involved across that nine months, it's about the number of hours that would be involved in a 30-day, 10-hour-a-day retreat. So... And I have done that, and I've also given that. And you can learn more about that by, I guess, looking at Montserrat. But it's a situation where you're one-on-one with somebody who is not your spiritual director, but more or less the guy who has been through the woods before, and he knows where all the, the trees are marked at, so you can walk through the woods together. There's some work you do on the side, and then you meet once a week for at least an hour and uh, are taken through this retreat process. And it's kind of aimed at uh, discerning. And in my particular case, when I gave the retreat, if you will, uh, was to my son Nathan. And uh, it had a lot to do with his decision to pursue being a doctor. That was... You said son, you meant son-in-law. Son-in-law. He basically discerned that that's what he—that's the direction he's going, and in fact, he's entering his fourth year, and uh, will go into residency next year. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about before we close out the episode is this notion of retreat addiction. Yes. And so, what we mean about that, to once again define our terms, are people who cycle through the same retreat system over and over and over again. And I'm really not talking about the silent retreat type thing. Really talking about these things like Axe and Chirp slash now Welcome. And uh, maybe Curcio too. I don't know enough about Curcio to know if it's originally intended to be a one and done sort of thing. So I know that in, in our experience at my old parish that we saw that the model of having new people go through the retreat system for CHIRP became unsustainable because not not enough people were signing up. So consequently, what happened is people that had already been through the retreat process started signing up again or volunteering again. And the challenge there is that the CHIRP acronym actually stands for Christ Renews His Parish. And the idea is that you're actually going back into the parish and renewing it through your acts of faith that you're actually involved in the parish doing something. Right. So, anyway, as with smaller parishes, what happens is you can't sustain enough teams, so you get people that have already gone through the retreat to go through the retreat again, and sometimes again and again. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I feel like that's a problem anyway is that as a general rule, people will come through these retreats and they come out kind of on a spiritual high and you'll hear people talking about being on fire and things like that. The problem is, is that's not sustainable. And people mistake this high or this being on fire as something that they're supposed to be experiencing 24-7. And... As I mentioned, that's just simply not sustainable. And so it I, I use the term chirp junkie. And I use that term because I felt like it described it. You, you had a high, you missed it, so you want to go get it again. And instead of really growing spiritually, I think that stunts your growth. I think that um, if, if, it, if you're activity if your if your relationship with God is dependent upon this emotional high then you're doing it wrong you're supposed to come out of that as Don mentioned and participate in your parish and you're not going to be on fire 24/7 yeah we're human yeah and you shouldn't feel like something's wrong if 
you aren't on fire 24-7. It is simply not sustainable. Nobody's built that way. What you have to recognize is that there's an underlying warmth, I guess I'm going to use that term, that is sustainable. And that's what you're going for. Something that becomes part of you on a regular basis that is sustaining you. And because it is sustaining you, it is sustainable, but it's not dependent upon this emotional high. So I would just caution people when you, if you go to one of these retreats and you come out all on fire and three months later, you're like, I'm not on, all on fire anymore. That's normal. What you need to do is work on your personal prayer life and work on your personal relationship with Jesus and quit worrying about, you know, why am I not so excited anymore? Because that's just the way we're built. There, there's no getting away from that. And I think it ties into the, the journal expectation, which you're talking about everyday life. Not necessarily maybe being on fire, but, you know, that you're going to feel the Holy Spirit in certain certain prayers or like at Mass. And, and it's not just because you don't feel that feeling doesn't mean there's no value in it. And I think that's where there's a loss in translation, like, yeah. I wasn't feeling it during the Our Father Mass this weekend. It's like, okay, but did you actually, were you just reciting it? Which is a, which is a tendency we can have. You know, there's a complacency aspect there. Sure. Or were you actually praying it? Well, I was actually praying. Well, then there's value. Yes. Just because you didn't feel that, oh, a dove coming down. Yes. Know, feeling that. And yeah. I think the other thing, too, I think it goes in line with that as well, is that, Part of these retreats, not actually again, not necessarily the silent retreat, but like chirp and axe and whatnot, is there's a there is a built-in aspect of aha, you yes. know, uh, or some wow factors built in that are intended for one and done type things to just boost you, to get you thinking about your own spiritual life, to get you to change the way you live. On that everyday level, not that not necessarily to maintain that, like you said, not to try to maintain and sustain that fire, but to take it and go, this is where I'm at spiritually now. I have some understandings I didn't have before. What can I do with those, and what new habits can I have? Yeah. And if you're continually doing that, continually doing, trying to get that, like you said, the the high. I think there's an aspect of like selfishness in that. Yes. Because what are you really getting? You're not getting what you're not doing what it was designed or intended to do. You're meeting your own grat- your own almost instantaneous gratification needs for short term for short term. Yeah. It's kind of like church hopping because you're looking for that next great homily. You know, it's in addiction parlance, they call that chasing the dragon. And I just want to caution people to that. If you go through one of these retreats, you may come in out of there with a lot of emotion that you've never felt before. And then you may feel like something's wrong because it's faded. It's not faded. It's just that it's done its job. And an analogy I used many years ago is, is like when you're going to cook, when you're, when you're putting your charcoal down and you put, pour the lighter fluid on, and then you throw the match in there and you have this giant flame. But you don't cook on that, okay? Because you wait for the coals to bank down and have a sustainable heat, and that's what you cook on. What you're looking for is that sustainable heat. Well said. All right, so to close out the show, just say that we hope that this is informative as it relates to the different types of retreats that are available to you. One of the things that I would say is that I think that you can glean from this conversation that there is value in attending the retreat. I don't think you have to do it more than twice a year, but I think uh, depending on the type of retreat, I would argue that a welcome retreat or an axe retreat is a one-time thing. There's not a need to go through it again. With something like a silent retreat, whether it's one that's sponsored by Opus Dei or a Jesuit retreat house near you, or a Franciscan, or a Benedictine, whatever the case may be, those might be more suited for a, an annual thing, because we can always get ourselves back on track, or 
give our spiritual game plan a little bit of boost by attending one of these. So, and one of the best things that you can do is reach out to a friend and have them attend the retreat with you. And so you're growing stronger with them. So with that, we'll close it out. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you being with us again on our next episode. Good night. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like us on your preferred podcast listening platform. Also, please consider financially supporting our podcast by making a monthly contribution of $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99. You can do so by clicking the purple button at anchor.fm slash Joe Catholic. If you would like to see show notes or learn more about the Joe Catholic Apostolate, please go to our website, thejoecatholic.org. Thanks again for listening to the Joe Catholic Podcast. Plenty of people that you can share that with. Ah!